Thank you, Derwin. Appreciate that. Let's go to John chapter 5 this morning. verses 19 through 29. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come upon us, that your spirit would open our eyes and our minds and our ears and our hearts, that we would have understanding to what it is you call us to do, how we are to live because of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself is doing. Greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Now, it's not that my parents made me do this, but this was what was on, I believe, every Saturday night at our house for a period of time when I was growing up. And it was a very impressionable time, so it's instilled in my mind. And uh, if, it, if it's instilled in your mind, then you can sing along. Ready? Good night, sleep tight, and pleasant dreams to you. Here's a wish and a prayer that every dream comes true. So now till we meet again, adios, au revoir, I'll be the same. Does anybody, remember, anybody watch Lawrence Welk? Okay, <laughs> come on, just a couple, okay? Till we meet again, there's a, all right, there's a, okay? And, and, and you know, it's a little, little catchy tune, and I can remember, you know, all those guys, the Irish tenor and, and all those, those guys. Um, till we meet again. Will I see you again? Okay, that's a good question. Will I see you again? If you're a, uh, uh, 
a seventh grade boy in junior high and, and some ninth grade comes and says, I'll see you again. You don't want to stay after school because that's a bad thing that he sees you again. That's what it sounds like. If uh, you're pulled over uh, by a police officer and he says, I'm sure I'll be seeing you again. Um, I think that's a bad thing uh, that you'll be, he thinks you'll be a repeat offender. Um, now, if, if you've got your heart set, uh, maybe guys, on a, on a particular girl, and you say, well, I'll be seeing you again, and, and she's, maybe she's hoping, oh, I hope not, you know, I hope not. Um, be seeing you again. Will we see you again? Well, those words have stuck in my heart, um, and, and I, I, I say this not, not to embarrass, but Belinda said it at her mother's service. We will see her again. I said it at my father's funeral. I stood up and said, I will see him again. And the people in the back, you know, the good Presbyterians in the back went, yeah, yeah. Okay? His golf buddies went, huh? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't understand what I was talking about. The question is, will we see you again? Now, that takes salvation on, on both ends. Okay? Because for the believer, if I stand up here and I'm confident that I have received Christ and uh, that there's fruit demonstrated in my life, and I say, will I see you again? I'm talking about seeing you where? In heaven. Okay? If I say, well, I'm sorry, I don't, be th- I don't think I'll be seeing you again. Okay? That's, that speaks badly for one of us. For one of us. Okay? Life. Jesus brings the words of life. Those who hear his word and believe have life. The question is, will we be seeing you again in that life? Because there are those who are raised to life and those who are raised to eternal punishment. There is no in-between. You are either in Christ or you are out of Christ. And remember, John writes all of these things. Verse chapter 20 says these things are written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, that you may have eternal life, eternal life. George Bernard Shaw, who was no, no great theologian, but he had this one right. He said statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. And what will happen when you die? Will we see you again? Now, there are those whose hearts are simply broken for those who do not believe. They are in agony about their loved ones who do not believe for they feel they will never see them again. Okay? This week, we had this service for Ted. Uh, I think we'll see Ted again. Okay? Okay? And I was reminded, I didn't use this in the service, but how many of you remember the phrase, the big G? The big G stands for goodness. Okay, that was Ted Cartrell. Now, in today's world, we can find a book on the seven steps on how to have the best life now. Oprah can tell us how to live your best life now. You can have a best life diet. I don't think that has any chocolate in it, I'm afraid. Okay? Or you can even have a holy experience so that you can have your best life now. These are all books or TV shows or diets or whatever. They all promise abundant life for those who do these things now. An abundant life now. But the promises for abundant life really don't match up the promises that Christ gives for life. 
Now, Christ's promises for life does, do not necessarily include that you will be thin or good-looking or prosperous or happy every day of your life, but he gives life in a way that is different than the rest of this world understands life. Scripture says that I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him is life. Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll find out a little bit more about this life. For those of us, as Scripture says, who are dead in your trespasses, that's everybody who is outside of Christ, we were dead in our trespasses before we heard the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing here in the second chapter of Ephesians about those who used to be dead in their trespasses and who have found life. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, it doesn't say but Randy here, when it speaks about how I, I, there, I used to be dead, but it was God, it wasn't Randy, but God being rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. Not when we got it right, but even when we were still dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christ has this spiritual power of life, not just physical life, as we shall see, but of spiritual life. Nobody is really alive unless they are made alive here in the sense of Ephesians chapter 2, in Christ. You're simply dead in your trespasses. You might be walking around living and breathing, but you're not really alive. Not really alive. Scripture says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Romans chapter 10 is very clear. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, and you shall be saved. You shall have, you shall have life. Repeatedly, the Greek tells us that this event, this takes place, this giving of life is a one-time event, but because of the, the structure of the Greek language, it shows us that the results of that event continue on forever. There is no, well, the results are only going to work for this long or for this long. They continue on forever. If you have been given life by Christ, if you have been changed, you are changed forever forever. Back to John chapter 5. Verses 27, 28, 29 really tell us that Christ claims to have the authority to judge. He gives life. He also has the authority to judge. 
Christ is the one who saves. He saves all that the Father gives to him. Once that is finished and the full measure of those the Father has given to Christ are saved, then will come judgment. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. It will be the voice of Christ that calls us to resurrection. Okay? Will we see you again if the voice of Christ calls you to the resurrection of life? There's a different resurrection as well. Same resurrection, but to a different end. Believers and unbelievers will be raised by Christ. Daniel chapter 12 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And this is what Paul said to Felix when he was on trial in Acts chapter 24. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And the unjust, those who did not believe in Christ, will be sent to everlasting punishment. Now, you know, one of my favorites is, is Jonathan Edwards. And if you're going to talk about everlasting punishment, then you really have to quote Jonathan Edwards. Okay? And one of his sermons on, on Ezekiel chapter 15, which he is tying into John chapter 15 and the, the, the teaching on the vine. You know, I, I don't make good sermon titles. Now, I don't know whether this would draw people in if we put this on the marquee, but this was the title of this sermon, Wicked Men Useful in Their Destruction Only. You think they're going to be beating down the doors to hear that one? Okay? But that was the, that was the title of the sermon. And, and after Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, this is probably the second most famous sermon of Jonathan Edwards. And it's, it's 90 minutes long if you read it, and I will not read it, but I'm going to quote a little bit from it. The section on doctrine, there's an introduction, there's a section on doctrine, there's a section on scripture, and a section on application. And that's, that was basically the structure of, of a 90-minute sermon here. The section on doctrine, if men bring forth no fruit to God, they're wholly useless, unless in their destruction. For the proof of this doctrine, I shall show, number one, that it is very evident that there can be but two ways in which men can be useful vis-a-vis either in acting or in being acted upon and therefore disposed of. Secondly, that man can no otherwise be useful actively than by bringing forth fruit to God. That is our purpose, to bring forth fruit to God. Third, that if he bring not forth fruit to God, there is no other way in which he can be passively useful but in being destroyed. Number four, in that way he may be useful without bearing fruit. He's saying those who bear no fruit are useful only by their destruction. Let me quote a little bit for you. They are not fit to be suffered to continue always in this world. God suffers them to live for the present, but it is only for a certain season. They are here in a transitory state. It is not fit that this world should be the constant abode of those who bring forth no fruit to God. It is not fit that the barren tree should be allowed always to stand in the vineyard. The husbandman lets it stand for a while till he digs about it, dungs it, and provides it to be, improves it to be incurable, or till a convenient time to cut it down come. But it is not fit that such a tree should stand here always. It is not fit that they who bring forth no fruit to God should be suffered to live always in a world which is so full of the goodness of God, or that his goodness should be spent upon them forever." This world, though it is fallen and is under a curse and is a miserable place to what it once was, yet is full of the streams of divine goodness. 
But it is not fit that those who bring forth no fruit to God should always be continued in partaking of these streams. There are these three different states, a state wherein nothing but good, which is the state of the blessed in heaven, a state wherein is a mixture of good and evil, which is the earthly state, and a state wherein is nothing but evil, which is the state of eternal destruction and damnation. Now they that bring forth no fruit to God are not fit for either of the former. It is not fit that they should be continued in the enjoyment of any of the goodness of God. Hell, therefore, if you remain unfruitful and cumberers of the ground, will be the fittest place for you, and there you will surely have your portion assigned to you. There God will get himself honor upon you. There he will magnify himself in your ruin, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and will be praised upon that account by the saints at the day of judgment and by all the hosts of heaven throughout everlasting ages. The point here is that Jesus will raise all the dead. All the dead will be raised. I want to just let that sink in. All who have ever lived will be raised by Jesus, and they will be raised either to glory or to everlasting destruction. They will be useful to God in their destruction. Billions upon billions of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be raised. People you've heard of, Julius Caesar and Judas Iscariot and Isaiah and Michelangelo and Bach and Hitler and Stalin and and your your grandmother, your great uncle, um, all, all those who've died in the womb or in infancy, each will be raised either to eternal life or eternal destruction. God will raise this group of people who do not believe in him. I just picked out some of the most famous and some of the things that they said. He will raise them. Frank Lloyd Wright said, I believe in God, only I spell it nature. Richard Dawkins said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. God will raise him. Do you think to life or to judgment? Nietzsche, in Christianity, neither morality nor religion come into contact with reality at any point. God will raise him, even though Nietzsche thought God was dead. Okay, he will raise him. I don't believe in God because I don't believe in Mother Goose. That was Clarence Darrow. Not, not all lawyers believe that. Okay. Religion is the opiate of the masses. Karl Marx. I've never seen the slightest scientific proof of the religious ideas of heaven and hell, of future life for individuals or of a personal God. So far as religion of the day is concerned, it is a fake. Religion is all bunk. Thomas Alvin Edison. All thinking men are atheists. Ernest Hemingway. This from a man who killed himself. Okay? God will raise each of these individuals. Okay? Even though they did not believe in him, even though they have already met Christ, and Christ said, you know, you do not believe, you do not belong to me, you are not one of mine, at the last day they will be raised, and their bodies will be sown, which were sown perishable, will be raised how? Imperishable. Those imperishable bodies of the believers 
are fit for eternal life and praise of our Heavenly Father. The eternal bodies of non-believers are fit for what? Continued and everlasting destruction. As Edward said, There God will get himself honor upon you. There he will magnify himself in your ruin, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and will be praised upon that account by the saints at the day of judgment. These are hard things, but Christ brings life, brings life and resurrection to all. The question is, will we see you again? Will you be raised to everlasting life or everlasting judgment? All without exception will be raised. Jesus is sovereign over all of these people. He holds them in being and it will give existence to their decomposed body and a continuity that will be fit for all eternity. No one goes out of existence. There's no, um, there's no um, a doctrine of, um, oh, it escapes me, um, the doctrine where, where you simply cease to exist, where there is judgment and you will cease. No, there is judgment and everlasting judgment. Now, is that good news? Well, for those who have everlasting life, we don't understand it, but God is glorified in the destruction of those who do not believe. The dead, and how will this happen? How will this resurrection come about? It will come about by the voice of Christ. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. We see Jesus at the tomb. And, and we know that from, from John, I think it's John chapter 11. And Lazarus has been dead, and he's been dead four days, because three to make sure, you were dead after three, he wanted to make sure four days. And they say, roll back the stone. And they say, oh, there's a smell, it'll be terrible. He says, roll it back. So they roll it away, and what does Jesus do? Does he wait for him to come out? He says, no, he calls with a voice, Lazarus, come out. And who comes out? Lazarus. Why? Because Jesus called him. Because Jesus has the power of the words of life. And there'll be a call for us as well. Whether that call will be my church, come out. Whether it will be Randy or Bo or Lisa, whatever the words are, come out. And those bodies that were sown perishable will be raised imperishable. And we will be with the Lord forever. For those whom we'll see again. Then there are those who are raised imperishable, but they will be raised imperishable for eternal judgment. You and I will come out of the grave. As sure as we are sitting here, we will come out of the grave obediently. We will come out of the grave at the call of Christ. And Jesus here in this, this passage in John and in, in the teachings here and in, 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 the, in the teachings uh, in, in chapter 11 with Lazarus are showing that in that hour when he called Lazarus out, that is a demonstration of the hour that will come at his return when he will call everyone from the grave. The authority of the voice of Christ will call forth each, one to new life and the other to a future that is not quite as pleasant. And Christ holds the power of judgment. So the qualities that make Christ so appealing to the believer, the qualities 
that we, we long for in our own life because we see them in Christ. Those qualities of compassion and mercy, those qualities of righteousness and holiness. To the believer, that is a joy and that is a time to rejoice. But for the non-believer, when they are called from the grave, those qualities will be their destruction. Those qualities will be a torment. That compassion and that mercy of Christ and that righteousness and holiness will be terrible to them because they will not believe in Christ. At the throne, unbelievers will find themselves looking into the face of the one to whom they are completely accountable. All those atheists that I mentioned, they will look in the face of Christ and they will be accountable to him. And they will face the punishment that is due them. So today, I want to know, will I see you again? And if you're sitting there thinking, I still don't know what he's talking about. I, I don't know if he's going to see me again. What, what is this see me again? Will, on the day of resurrection, will you be raised to the glories of Christ? Will you be there in heaven for all eternity? Or will you be raised to eternal punishment? Okay, Because we're all going to be raised. Will you be with Christ? Or will we be the object of destruction? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is Christ who gives life, for you have given him this power. He calls us by name, we who are dead in our trespasses, and he makes us alive. But we know, Lord, that there will be a resurrection. There will be a day at your choosing when you send Christ back to gather his church to gather his bride, that we might go and be with him for all time in the place that he has prepared for us to be with him and to be with you and be with all the angels and all the, the church triumphant who has gone before us. But, Lord, in that same resurrection, there will be those who will not go with us, those because they denied Christ, because they did not believe. Their bodies will be raised and fit for eternal destruction. Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would make it clear to each one of us. Where are we? Our heart, is our heart alive with the things of Christ? Does our life bear the fruit of his grace? Or, or, or do we sit and, and, and not understand? Have our eyes not been opened to the things of Christ? Maybe we sighed secretly within our hearts with, with some of the phrases and words of, of the atheist. That I believe in nature, I just don't believe in a personal God. Or the God that I see is so corrupt and so vicious and so hateful that, that I would never believe in him. Lord, melt each of our hearts today. That before we come to this table that you would make real to us who Jesus Christ is, that his love and mercy would just come and, and wash over each of us, that our hearts would be melted within us, that our defenses would simply be placed to the side, that we would open all that we are and say, Lord, I want to receive you. You are the Son of God. 
And on the day that you return, I want you to return for me that I may know everlasting life, that I may know the riches as an heir of Christ, that I may know the blessings, that I may know the peace, that I may know those mercies. But in this world, we will have struggles, but I want to know that you are with me no matter what I face. Come upon us, Lord. Give us faith. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation for communion, let us sing the first two verses of 427, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. Let's stand as we sing the first two verses of 427. 